The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode one of the World of Darkness podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. Uh, this is the first real episode of the World of Darkness podcast, and appropriately, we will be looking at the book that started it all, Vampire the Dark Ages from 1996. Uh, in 96, I was dropping out of university to go live with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, here in Copenhagen. Uh, what about you, Peter? Well... I was 10 years old and hadn't really started role-playing yet, uh, but I, uh, I, I was still a medieval enthusiast and I went to all of the historical events that uh, I could convince my parents to, to take me to, so I started early. God, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you are. All right. Uh, now, before we start, I just quickly want to touch on a story regarding the development of Vampire the Dark Ages. Um, according to this story, uh, Mark Reinhagen wanted to make Dark Ages more of a fantasy D&D-like game, and uh, other people at White Wolf eventually persuaded him to change his ideas, and so it became uh, the more real-world historical game that we have now. H have you ever heard about that story? No, I haven't, actually. That's, that's news to me. Yeah, I can't remember where I heard it first, but I actually uh, I checked up. I asked on on Facebook. I'm still friends with some of the um, uh, almost original crew from from White Wolf, and and it was confirmed. Uh, now, while I'm obviously very happy that Dark Ages turned out the way it did, I can't help but wonder what a more fantasy like version of Vampire would be like. Yeah, especially since even as it stands, it it really is kind of fantasy like especially if you add in all the the fey elements and werewolves and and human mages and stuff like that it's um yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of wild I'm, I'm glad it ended up as it did um but on the other hand it maybe at some point somebody would make a fantasy version of it mm -hmm. okay so uh the book in question as i said it's from 1996 and it was developed by jennifer hartzorn and Ethan Skimp, and written by Bill Bridges, Phil Procatu, Ken Cliff, Richard E. Dansky, Jennifer Hartzorn, Kevin Hassel, Ian Lemke, Mark Reinhagen, Kathleen Ryan, Ethan Skimp, Stuart Weeks, Cynthia Summers, and Robert Hatch. Uh, there's a lot of names on that list that uh, that I recognize. Um, that's 13 writers credited, uh, and it's a core book of almost 290 pages, but that does seem a lot of writers, I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm imagining it was a lot of of um, uh, team effort and and like community work and and back and forth between the authors. Yeah. Uh, now, before we get into the book itself, I just want to ask you about the uh, the cover. Um, what do you think of it? Well, it's it's very nineties. It's very very nineties gothic and and quite uh, suitable for uh, <laughs> for a topic. I think. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it, um, especially because you know it, it. It sort of mirrors the original mm. uh, core book, um, just with with the more uh, dark uh, marble. Um, I guess we can briefly touch on the art in the book. It's all black and white. Do you have any thoughts on the art? 
Um, well, not not really. I think that, as as usual, when it comes to to a lot of role playing games, the 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 art captures the feel uh, of the game. Uh, but there there are some things, and I'm I'm gonna touch on this a bit later. But for example, it's it's a game set in the late twelfth um, century. Uh, but at some point, you still have um, uh, yeah, let's call him a knight in in very uh, platy armor, and, <laughs> and it's also kind of uh, as you mentioned, uh, the you can see the more fantastical elements with um, it. It's not Warhammer levels of uh, uh, shoulder guards, but it's it's kind of touching there. So yes, some of it is is more medieval and. Um, uh, some of it is not. Let's let's yeah. keep it at that. No, the the, uh, the the Warhammer bit comes comes later when we get to uh, Player's Guide to Low Clan and the High Clans because oh, yeah. uh, the person who who did the covers for those book books uh, actually used to uh, to do art for um, for Warhammer. Mm. We'll get we'll get to that <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, I think the art has its ups and its downs. There are no pictures that really blows me um, away. I think the clan heraldry is is really cool. Yeah, um, there are some sidebars that I think are, are hard to read because of the the art, but in general, um, I I think you know it's it's not something where I where I think the art ruins anything. Um, right, so let's uh, let's get to the book itself. It starts off with a preface, uh, an intro story, and it's a pretty big one. It's it's fourteen pages. I don't normally. Uh, read intro stories, but seeing as I was going to look at this book, I decided to read this one. Uh, did you read it? Yeah, uh, I did. Uh, I, I certainly did, and and I'd I'd say that these um, uh, fluff bits are are kind of like the artwork. Some of it is is really good, and some of it you can really tell that it's it's from the nineties, and and that it's more. It has a more fantastical or or narrative tone than a historical one. Yeah, um, I thought it was it was a good story, but it just reinforced that intro stories aren't really for me. I, um, I it it did give me an idea for for something I could do in game, and I like the way how it introduces the basics of vampires. Um, it's using the uh, Watson method of of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Mm. In, in that it's an outsider getting it explained, um, but yeah, I I'm I'm not one for intro stories, but I think it did it did a good job. Um, so we go on to book one. the The book is uh, the core book is uh, is made in in three parts, uh, each of them with three chapters. And book one is flesh and blood, with chapters one to three: introduction, setting, and clan. So. Chapter one is pretty short. It just gives the basic introduction to the game itself and the setting. Uh, I like this introduction. You know, it's it's quick and it's broad, and it gives you a basic idea of what a role-playing game is, and giving some examples of how Vampire: The Dark Ages differs from modern-day Masquerade. So, mm. all in all, you know, it it does what it sets out to do, which is be an introduction to the game. Yeah, and and I think as a game, it's it's presented really well, and. Um, and what I like about it is is that um, it 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 really implores the reader and and thus the players to to tell a story to tell a cooperative story. But we we all know how often vampire games just uh, fall apart due to infighting and and the Ventru wanting to kill the Bruja and so on. But <laughs> but it it still it, it still at least tries to to tell the the, the players to to focus. 
on the uh, on the actual story um, and and that that's the important one um, and and what I really like and what is really like what really dates this I think is is the part about about live action role playing um, and and that it talks about um, how you should be careful to to do it outside uh, in, inside or if you do it outside to to basically warn your neighbors so <laughs> that they don't think that that there's some kind of great crazy satanist cults running around trying to sacrifice children uh, because this was a real thing that people thought about role players in in the 90s uh, yes you're right. It, uh, I, I I didn't really think about how that actually dates it, but you're you're quite right. Um, uh, I, I you can also tell that this is sort of the the first book that goes beyond the the what was set forth in the five core books. That there are some mentions of uh, the modern day Vampire the Masquerade game and how it differs from it. And later on, there will be there will be uh, and more mentions of it. Um, so it's a it it's very it very much shows what it's a spin off from. Um, I'd say it's it's always difficult for me with with almost thirty years of role playing experience to evaluate those what is a role playing game advice. Uh, but this one looked good enough. I'm I'm thinking if you were new to role playing games, you'd get a sense of it from from this one. Um, now, from a historical perspective, I did chuckle at a phrase uh, in a sidebar on page twenty six where it says, "Most cities have fewer than ten thousand inhabitants." And I mean, it's true, but uh, it would be equally true since it's quite clear that it's focused on Europe uh, and the fact that it's set in in the late uh, 12th century to say that most cities have a population fewer than 5,000. I mean, if you go north of the Alps, it'll be rare to find a city with more than a thousand people. Yeah, Uh, as as an interesting note about that, uh, about this time, they they started building the the cathedral in, in Uppsala. Uh, in Sweden, and and when it was finished in the 1400s, that is 200 years later, uh, it could fit more people inside it than were actually living in the city at the time. So, um, yeah, it wasn't. It it is quite an impressive for a medieval church or a cathedral. It is quite impressive, but as you say, there aren't really that many. I w- I w- I, I'm, I'm would it even call it serious, but there aren't really that many big towns in Europe uh, no, at this I mean, point. If, if you look at, at uh, my country, Denmark, the biggest city in um, 1197, which uh, it's not mentioned in the core book, but later it became becomes the official starting year for, for this uh, iteration of Vampire the Dark Ages. In 1197, the biggest city in Denmark would be Ribe, with, I would say, around 500 inhabitants and maybe um, around a hundred transient people at at best during market uh, times, and and that's that's the biggest one in in this country. And I'm guessing in in Sweden it's probably somewhere around the same. Yeah, uh, and 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 that's also a thing to touch on that that uh, the map of Europe was very different back then. For example, since we're talking about Sweden and Denmark, large parts of of modern day Sweden. Uh, was actually Danish back yeah. then, uh, and some parts of uh, uh, of Sweden is now uh, Finland, uh, its own country. Uh, so, uh, yeah, y- it's one of the interesting aspects. I think is that if you really want to make a historical game out of this, you actually have to read up on on the difference in geography and and uh, politics, uh, because 
n yeah things things and countries were very different back then yeah the, there is a map i forgot to write down what city it's on but there is oh here it is page 22 what city it's on what page it's on on page 22 there is a picture of yeah. of someone sitting um at at uh, a lectern in front of a map uh which uh, now that i'm looking it uh, on it actually doesn't have sweden on it nope. uh, despite showing denmark so that's rather interesting um but yeah um and with that um we uh, we go on to um to chapter 2 which explains the quote unquote dark ages setting yeah. i don't know should can, we go into I the just... whole sorry yeah you I'm, were saying? I'm just i'm just chuckling at at the map because um the the countries that it includes is um uh, amongst others the whole roman empire france and spain and france spain yeah exactly <laughs> they pretty much have the modern day uh, borders uh, but back then large parts of spain was uh, was part of the moorish empires uh, and france as well had some uh, english provinces in in the northern parts and other parts as well so yeah it's it's a bit of a simplification it is um and and yes as i said um the should we go into the whole yes this really isn't the dark ages thing um or has that been done to death by now uh i i think we can drop it from now it's it's probably gonna uh, come back again later but let's let's not beat the ghoul horse too yeah. much at this point i i will say the term dark ages sounds really co uh, cool and um appropriate you know i i can understand why they did it um but they they later uh or, or already in this one but but later they they start using the term dark medieval m more mm. uh, but the dark ages name sticks but yeah that that is a uh, long discussion um okay so the first part of um of chapter two that focuses mainly on Canite society. Uh, vampires of this time call themselves Canites rather than Kindred, which is a Camarilla invention. And the Sabbath obviously still call themselves Canite. Um, I personally feel this uh, does a really good job of giving an introduction to vampire society, while at the same time not bogging down the reader with uh, too many details. Uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I find it, it's useful, like you say, that it, it gives you the, the who's who and what's what without going down too far into the details. Um, and uh, at the same time, like you mentioned, it's a book about uh, almost 300 pages, uh, but it still covers a lot of ground, so it doesn't... Uh, it, it neither has the room nor the opportunity to, to focus too much on... Uh, on anything in particular so so this is a good um, a, a good basic course in um, vampire society that's really useful yes you you get the idea that this is very much a book written for people who may not already be knowledgeable about um, vampire it, it it does a very good job of gently guiding you into it rather than just saying all right we assume you already know vampire here's how vampire works in uh, the Dark Ages setting, the Dark Medieval. Mm. Uh, I should mention that on page 37, uh, they do mention that a good-sized city is likely to be around 5,000 people. Um, so I assume that's something like Paris and London uh, and, and cities further south. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, you get the standard explanation of generations, domain, princes, etc. Uh, and then we uh, get to something that I 
think is often ignored, uh, though it might be because I myself too often ignore it, and that's Canite sects of this time. Uh, you have the Inconu, the Furoras, which are proto-anarchs, you have the Prometheans, etc. I cannot remember if these sects get any attention in future core book, but I really like them, uh, and, and I made a mental note to myself when I read this, I need to use them more. Uh, they give some other groupings, uh, or some groupings other than the clans. Um, so do you have any comments on, on these? Because I, I, it just really made me think, oh yeah, they're, they're there as well. Yeah, I, I think it's... Um like you said, it, they're, they're good to have something other than the clans, uh, but at the same time, and uh, we might touch on this later, that uh, and, and it's the population issue, that since there are so few people in general uh, in, in the world at this time, or at least in Europe, um, at, at the same time, that means that you have very few vampires, and you, you can't really have a sect that is... That, that has all their fingers in every pie when there's only like if you're going by the numbers they're, they're realistically which is a weird word to use <laughs> in these uh, circumstances but when you can only have like eight vampires spread across Europe that are part of the same sect because otherwise there would be too many uh, yes. but but as as um, um, narrative tools and and how they are described, yeah, some of them are, are really interesting. Like the Inconu, for instance, they're they're probably one of my uh, favorite uh, secret societies in these. Yes, um, it's not mentioned in this book, and I don't know if it's actually mentioned in any of the of the later books. But um, in in modern day uh, Masquerade, they they very specifically say that general vampiric population is one vampire per one hundred thousand people. Uh, and I've always gone with, in, in the Dark Ages setting, one vampire per thousand people. Uh, I can't, as I said, I can't remember if they spell it out somewhere else. They don't in this book, but that does mean that, yeah, if they say you have a good-sized city of 5,000 people, that's five vampires, and yeah. with with travel being as difficult as it is, you're, you're right, it's it's difficult to, to really picture these sects being as united as they are. Mm. Um, then we go on to Mortal Society. Although it's not specified, the focus is clearly on uh, on Western Europe, because they describe the uh, the feudal so feudal society with the threefold uh, division of those who war, those who pray, and those who work. And, and then we have the merchants and the craftsmen, the burghers of the city as the odd one out. And then there are short sections on religion, geography, etc. Uh, now, personally, I feel they do a decent job of providing a quick overview of medieval Western society. Obviously, there could be a lot more, and I do wish they would have devoted more space to it, uh, because if you're not already knowledgeable about the historical setting, th this really isn't much to go on. Um, earlier, they did give a good amount of suggestion on materials for research, but still, this uh, really isn't much to go on, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and, and it kind of shows that as far as um, 90s role-playing games went, uh, Vampire in or all the White Wolf games, they, they were really a class of games for the people who wanted to do the research. Uh, unlike, for example, the, the Dungeons & Dragons games where you could just pick up the book and you would have uh, a generic fantasy world presented to you where you could just drop your characters in and of course of, of that matter GURPS which is famous for its for its research yeah exactly and and you could 
you could do the same with with Vampire Dark Ages, uh, if if that's all you wanted to do. But but uh, if if you really wanted to do like for example medieval London or or France, uh, then then you would actually have to pick up books and figure it out by yourself. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I- it shows that. Um, again it's it's not necessarily for everyone and and that's kind of um a theme running along in uh, in in vampire uh, in general i think that that it it puts a lot of not not necessarily pressure but it it puts a lot of responsibility uh, at both the players and the the storyteller to uh, to figure things out and and research things when which in a way i think is is actually kind of uh, cool if you're into that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, what I'm thinking is obviously you could just go, well, screw it, I'm just going to go with um, whatever's in this book and then my own sort of vision of of the medieval and play it in that, but I think it does it a bit of a disservice. Now, obviously, I would think that being as interested in history as, as I am, uh, but I do know of people who've just went, okay, well, we're going to play this more, uh, I guess you could call it more Hollywood style, mm. where we're taking the broad strokes of um, the Middle Ages and we're just going to make it this big mix of everything that we think is is medieval and played from there. And and obviously, you know, there's no wrong way to play it as long as everyone's having fun. Uh, it's just not the way I would like to do it. Yeah, exactly. You you get the generic, like you said, m- medieval times with with. Uh, Vikings in the north running around and and then all of a sudden a bunch of crusaders shows up and and perhaps even a, a bard with one of those silly berets that you see at Renaissance <laughs> fairs and 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 like you said yeah if if that's your if that was floats your boat then then go for it but um, it it's not really medieval or or dark ages it's um, it's something else but if that's your thing go for it yeah I mean. Uh, we're we're not here to uh, to tell anyone how to to play their play their games. Uh, okay, so I want to briefly mention a sidebar on page forty seven, right after they talk about women in the Dark Ages or the the Dark Ages setting, yeah. uh, which incidentally is a subject I think we could devote a fair bit of time on uh, at a later date. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the the sidebar basically says that once you are embraced, gender, ethnicity, religion, etc., does not matter. What matters is blood. Uh, so generation, age, and uh, clan. Uh, they say that some Cainites might hold on to these prejudices for a century, uh, but that uh, acting upon them or speaking out will likely result in being verbally or even physically chastised. Mm. Um, what, what's your what's your take on this one? Yeah, it's it's actually uh, something I wrote down in in my notes when I was uh, going over the book for for this podcast, and it's again this is a game from the 1990s and. For for being that era, it's it's actually quite I don't know if you should call it liberal or progressive, but the fact that they uh, they even mention this is is rather cool from 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 a player's perspective because it shows that that it, it, you as a player can still be all of these things in a vampire society, um, and it's uh, yeah like I said it's it's kind of of uh, progressive. Uh, and it's also my personal view is that yeah of course if you are a vampire then then these things shouldn't really matter because you can uh, like one of the most famous 
pop culture vampires is um, uh, oh, what's your name? Uh, from um, uh, interview with a vampire. Um, oh, uh, f- I uh, it's, I never read it, and it's been far too long no, since but I, I saw uh, the movie. Yeah, uh, that's this is embarrassing. So let's uh, <laughs> let's Google this. Uh, I think I think our listeners might know who you're referring to. Yeah. Uh, but but anyway, she's uh, she's in uh, uh, she's like an uh, what ten year old uh, uh, girl. Uh, Is it Claudia? Yeah, thank you, thank you, Claudia, played <laughs> by fantastic Kirsten Dunst, uh, and and she's she's like a a ten year old girl, but then she gets um, well, let's call it embraced because that's what happened to her, and and she becomes this this very powerful vampire. And spoilers for a like two decades old movie. In the end, she kills. Or not in the end, but she she kills Tom Cruise's character, um, and and so she grows in power, and like even if you are a tiny girl, as a uh, as a mortal, there's n- really no limit how powerful you can become when you become a vampire. So so it shouldn't really matter um, that that you are both a girl and um, a, a child. Uh, so so yeah, I think this is really cool. But on the other hand, it it kind of brings me to uh, to to a thing that I think we're unfortunately going to run into quite often, and and that is the case of the Ravnos. Oh uh, yes, I I've I've got some notes on that for uh, yeah. for once we one uh, one when, when we get to the the clans yeah um, because I, I I want to talk about that. Mm. Um, so, so I'll just mention it here that it basically yeah. says that yeah, it doesn't really matter if you're a woman or a Jew or a Saracen or a, or a Moor, as long as you're not a gypsy, because then we're still gonna hate you, and and that is so wrong. And yeah, yeah, like uh, just like you said, I I really like this uh, take as well, and I also find it realistic. Um, I mean, I like it not just as a feminist and a leftist, which. I am, but but uh, also because it it uh, really also gives something interesting to the game because uh, you would have the clan prejudices rather than the mortal prejudices, but you could still have fun with uh, either a, a non-player character who is uh, still holding on to uh, these uh, mortal beliefs, or you could have an interesting time as a player character coming to terms with the fact that their prejudices no longer work or you could have an embraced jewish character finding out that all of a sudden they're not looked down upon by uh, like being a jew one thing that i i'm not a hundred percent on board with is the fact that the religious prejudices just uh disappear as easily because not only is religion so ingrained but as we'll see in later books vampire religion plays an important part in vampire society and you do see some conflicts arising if not from religion then at least from um, vampires using religion but um, I like it not only as a as a uh, as a thing in game but also as something welcoming having spoken to a lot of of uh, female and and other minority players it's they they see this sort of thing as a welcoming thing for me as a a white male, heterosexual, and everything. I I never have problems feeling welcome. So I I think this is a, a really good thing. And of course, uh, White Wolf was was generally known as as being socially progressive. Um, so yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the Ravna. So let's get on to the clans. That's the next chapter. Yeah. Um, I do I do believe this is the first core book that have all thirteen clans in a core book. 
which you know makes sense in it since it's not divided by sects. Uh, so you get all 13 of them in a two-page spread. Uh, if we take a look at them, the first one is the Asamites, and it's one that I personally did not like uh, because it's clear that the idea of the Asamites have evolved over time, and here we still have them as the dangerous foreign assassin stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, in some ways, it might make sense given the book's implicit focus on Western Europe, but their portrayal comes off as insensitive and shallow to me, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are some people who found it offensive or even racist. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And you, you mentioned that this is the first book with all 13 clans, and I think it was a very good reason that in the first Vampire the Masquerade books that you only had the seven Camarilla clans because they were the ones that you were supposed to play or that you yeah could play. exactly and and it feels that the way the asamites are are written they they still feel kind of npc-ish it's like like you said they're 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 stereotypical on the borderline racist and and i i really can't see an interesting way to play an asamite in the way that it's described straight from the core book no, they're, they're portrayed more as, as uh, antagonists than actual uh, play, player characters. Yeah, and, and um, very two-dimensional. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Clan Brugia, that's mm. maybe my favorite clan of the Dark Ages settings. I like them in modern nights, and, and here we have them at their crossroads, where some are clinging to the old ways as philosophers, while others are embracing the rebel without a cause change for change's sake way that becomes more prevalent as uh, as time goes by and i really really love this dichotomy in clan brugia and i love playing it up both when i'm playing and when i'm i'm a storyteller uh so they are in in my view one of the the great clans of the dark ages yeah i i agree i i like that they they're not really the the punk rock uh, leather jacket uh, mohawk things that that they're unfortunately uh, sometimes portrayed in uh, in the modern ages but they they still have that that seed of what's to come there and uh, yeah it's it's almost like a generational split where where the older generations are are trying to uh, to keep the ways they are which is kind of ironic that that they they're tri still trying to be the the scholars and they <laughs> they want to have an, a new Carthage and and at the same time the younger generations are like f the society um, and uh, yeah and and fulfilling the the stereotype stereotypes in a, in a beautiful way i think with with yeah. Ruja. and then we get into the new clan of the dark ages setting the cappadocians mm. uh, i am fairly sure that up until now they were not named but just mentioned as uh, the giovanni progenitor clan so seeing as this is the new big thing um, I, I think we should try to explore the, the Cappadocians. What's, what's your opinion on the Cappadocians? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to say that, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not that impressed. Then again, Clan Giovanni was, a, was never a favorite of mine, even in, in modern ages. And it, it kind of go back, goes back to what we said about Asamites, is that they, they don't really feel like something I would want to play in the way that they're written. It's, it's very much that... It's this scholarly, scholarly clan who who focus a lot of on on research and and uh, um, 
inner uh, inner exploration that uh, meditating on on what it is to be to be an undead and and uh, what does this mean for you as an individual and for society and and i don't know it's like i i imagine a gaming session where where you have a bunch of of different characters and they they tell the storyteller what to do and and then the storyteller asks the cappadocian and and they say yeah, I'm just gonna stay in my crypt and and read a book for three weeks. Yeah, yeah, that that is the problem. I uh, I personally like them. Um, I like their study of death because it makes sense to me that there would be vampires who are interested in the mm. mystery surrounding yeah. death since they are well dead. But um, what I wrote wrote down in my notes about notes about them is that I think this version of them is a bit thin. Um, yeah. They they don't have the years of development that the other clans have, and like you mentioned here, they're just presented as scholars embracing other scholars, and they are very much like you like you said the the kind of people who the, or the kind of of, of characters uh, that might just be sitting studying unless someone drags them out. I, I really like how uh, when they're presented in later books, uh, we get things like, for example, warriors who've seen a death again. again uh, and again on the battlefield being embraced so you have people with a different experience of death and one of my favorite um, approaches to uh, the Cappadocians would be for example a crusader knight who has seen so much slaughter that they feel like they know death firsthand and then they're embraced yeah that, that would be an interesting concept and uh, speaking of that as as I read through uh, the books late, uh, the book late, late last night. I I couldn't stop myself, but trying to to create a character for each of the different clans going through them because oh this would be cool to play <laughs> and this would be cool to play. But yeah, I, I like your idea about uh, a crusader uh, Cappadocian. Um, yes. So the followers of Set are next, uh, and here in the book they sow the seeds of the Setites being more than just evil corruptors, which is what they've been moving towards mm. for some time now. Uh, but that's still very much their shtick. Uh, Osiris gets a mention, so we can see where it's heading with the justification for their corrupting ways. Is you know they want to destroy um, Osiris's. Uh, civilization. Yeah. Uh, and I think they get a bit of a fairer shake than the Asamites. Uh, they, they don't feel quite as stereotypical and problematic as the Asamites, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I somewhat agree with you that they're not as bad as the Asamites, but at the same time, the, the way the Egyptian culture is presented is to me and I'm, I can't even claim to be any kind of expert in uh, in Egyptology but I've um, I know some things and it, it's for me it's a very pop culture um, walk like an Egyptian kind of description <laughs> of of the whole thing and, yeah, and the, the mummy with Brendan Fraser yeah kind of like that and it's an excellent move and it's a cool thing to do but again you you need to figure out when you start playing this game that do you want a Hollywood vers version or do you want something else? Um, and like, like for example, the the there is the, there is a mention that um, that that the Setites like to dress up in uh, in in archaic neo Egyptian robes while in the privacy of their havens, and I I can kind of. Imagine that for if if it actually is an Egyptian setite back home in Egypt or northern Africa, but I, I it would 
look so incredibly silly to have like a, a French or Italian uh, setite who comes home from a hunt or from from a uh, uh, a meeting with other clans and then just slipping into their to their Egyptian robe and uh, yeah that that picture just doesn't work for me <laughs> no no I, um, I I'm not an expert on Egyptology either but um, uh, I, I have a brother-in-law who studied Egyptology for a little while and and he's not he's not the biggest fan of the earliest portrayals of um, of the Settites uh, so clan gangrel well the picture says it all long hair big beard fur clothing and a Dane axe <laughs> yeah oh uh, I think that the Dark Ages setting is where clan gangrel really shine because animalism is a lot more useful in the dark medieval and and while protein was always useful it's more so at this time with with you know no artificial light and travel um one thing of note before we uh, before i toss it over to you uh, they still have the old clan weakness where they gain uh, an additional animal feature every time they frenzy now having seen a gangrel on an instincts path uh, being played through a chronicle that lasted 850 years I know how problematic that iteration of the yeah. floor can be because at the end we were running out of features to give the character. Yeah. Um, but let's let's hear your your take on it. Uh, we're we're both from uh, the area that Clan Gangrel considers their stronghold at this time. Yeah, and it's. Um, uh, it, I, I'm just starting. My, my mind wanders when when you mentioned the uh, clan weakness because there are a lot of clan weaknesses that. Uh, are rather problematic and and oh, also yes. they're not very well balanced like like you mentioned that uh, the the gangrel basically turn into some kind of chimeric beast uh, and and the toreador have to look at pretty things uh, <laughs> so so yeah you you do have that problem uh, asamite also have a very weird uh, clan weakness and that is that they have to uh, they have to give part of the blood uh, that they gather to to the clan as as a kind of a tax and yeah. and i'm just racking my mind is in on how is that done practically do do they have like you can't have blood bags do do they have like a bottle that they send on, on with a carrier pigeon it it's just <laughs> it's just a very weird it's no you know they use a swallow all right yeah and it, it has to be an african swallow because the european <laughs> swallow wouldn't pay b no but but do you, do you see where i'm going with this is the, very much very, very much it's yes a very strange uh, it's a, it's a very strange weakness to begin with they, they also have uh, uh, an, another uh, part of the weakness where it's um yeah they they always uh, their the auras always look like they have committed diablerie even if they haven't but but the the part with the uh, twenty percent blood tithe to their sires in accordance with clan law is like how how do you manage that? How do you deal with that logistically? Um, oh, uh, and and just a quick thing: does it say blood tithe? Yeah, but they, but that it's twenty percent. Yeah. Now we're getting into now we're getting into nitpicking, yes. but but still, a tithe is not twenty percent. And eg exactly for for our <laughs> listeners, a tithe the 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 word means a tenth, uh, which is yeah. what you would give to the church. Uh, but yeah, uh, back to back to our furry friends, the the clan gangrel. Um, yeah, I I like them uh, in in a way that they're not just uh, the the barbarian class of of vampire, the masquerade, or dark ages. That they actually have given them a bit more depth. Um, at at the same time, um, 
which which I think is kind of interesting is that they they are portrayed um, that that they stick to the edges of of Europe, like up here in Scandinavia, for example, which would be a good place for maybe one or two gangrels because that's all that could fit with, with yeah. the amount of people living here. Um, but but at the same time, they they bring. Um, I don't know if you should call it a, a, a savage or a barbarian um, element to the game that that doesn't really fit because, like, if if you were living in the year 1197, you would most probably be a farmer, and your life as a farmer wouldn't really be any different if you were a French farmer or a Scandinavian farmer or a, a Scottish farmer or even an Italian farmer. Because no, ninety percent of your life would be pretty much the same. So having the gangrel like there, oh, we live up here in Scandinavia or in in Sweden or Norway or Denmark, where it's it's still an uncivilized country. It's it's again, it's a bit Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. I think they they do a, a they they give us a, a much better look at Clan Gangrel later on, especially with Wolves of the Sea, a book that I'm really looking forward to to us uh, taking a look at oh yeah um so um clan la sombra uh, that's very much one of my favorite clans of the dark medieval where they really get to shine or possibly the the opposite yeah uh, i'm actually playing a la sombra in a dark ages game right now uh, and i i just think they fit perfectly and i love their i just love everything about them in the dark ages there's not much more to say for me other than than they are a perfect fit for this setting yeah, uh, they they are, and I like them even in uh, in in the modern ages. Uh, and th- they have they have cool disciplines. They have a cool backstory, uh, and um, yeah, like like you said, it's it's a really cool um, a, a cool clan. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, we we're in agreement there. Um, clan Malkavian. I hate the clan picture with the court jester outfit. Yeah. Um, that is very anachronistic, but other than that, <laughs> I think the clan works really well in the setting, and they have dementation rather than dominate, which I very much approve of. Um, and and you know, I I think they fit in uh, with the whole idea of of people at that time not really understanding mental illness, uh, which makes them even more scary. Uh, in in this uh, time than in in modern day, where people will probably have a ten- tendency to try and understand someone with a mental illness rather than just fearing them or thinking that well they have holy visions or something. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Malkavian is one of my favorite clans uh, all over. Um, I'm I'm a bit split when it comes to dementation because I think that a Malkavian with dominate uh, as a discipline is a lot scarier than someone with dementation uh, but uh, uh, letting them have dementation um, kind of puts focus on on their um, mental state and and their that there actually is, is a clan of of uh, mad seers uh, and that again i i like the way they are described and uh, and as you said that uh, insanity or, or uh, uh, mental il- illness wasn't really heck I, w- I would say that even back in the 90s you you didn't uh, know as much about mental illness as you do today uh, and even less so back uh, 800 years ago um, yeah and and it's also I I find them 
very inspirational to, to like yeah I, w I would like with with a modern mindset as a player what kind of of actual mental illness or, or derangement as it is called in the books could I play in a medieval setting as a Malkavian and and I was kind of like it, it was funny that you that you mentioned a, a crusader uh, as a concept because I think it would be interesting to play uh, a Malkavian who actually was um, not necessarily a crusader but perhaps a pilgrim who, who had gone to the Holy Land and uh, and and seen the Crusades and basically giving uh, the character uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, but having it, having having the character interpreting uh, the PTSD from their point of view. That having the flashbacks are these. I, am I actually being brought back to to the horrible slaughter of the Crusades, or or is it just in my head? Is it a vision from God or whoever? Uh, am I being punished for my sins? Uh, or or did, was what I was doing right? And is God showing me my righteous yeah. deeds, which I personally think are horrible now? It That's right. That's a very interesting yeah. take on it. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, the Nosferatu. A mm. uh, bit of a problem here, because in modern, modern times, you have this idea of them layering in sewers or other out-of-the-way, rarely visited places yeah. until they've learned enough obfuscate to hide uh, their deformities or hide themselves and here they're set to use fens forest plague infested zones and the communal cesspit of towns and cities and obviously if you have um roman cities with roman sewers or uh catacombs yeah they have an, a natural place uh but other but, but for me it, it doesn't quite work i would say that these this is one of the clans that i find difficult to integrate uh because they need a level of obfuscate but on the other hand, if you interpret it through uh, a medieval uh, um, lens, they might e have an easier time going around and just claiming to be, you know, deformed because they were cursed or something like that. So I, I don't know if, if you have any insights to that, because I have, I'm having trouble making Nosferatu click for this this setting. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. and. I, I think that there are ways to make them work, like for instance, just claiming to be a leper or something, and and that that way you could cover up parts of your face and and stuff like that, so that you don't see all the uh, horrible uh, <laughs> deformities that they have, or like being cursed, or or um, I don't know. I I could imagine a very hairy uh, Nosferatu uh, claiming to be a wild man, or or maybe even shaving oh. parts of their face when they had to go into people but but yeah at, at the same time that i i can think of maybe a handful of ways that would work so i could only have like a handful of nosferatu actually integrating or or, uh, or or moving along moving amongst the mortal society so yeah they are quite limited in that and and as a side note i i just have to point out that uh, it says that they uh in, in effort to hide their shame and avoid witch hunters, most Nosferatu shroud themselves in sackcloth swathings. And sackcloth was not a medieval thing. Uh, <laughs> you, you didn't have like the, the, the Christmas sack kind of fabric that, no, you could have linen swathings or, or uh, wool rags or, or whatever, but no, can we please get away from the Hollywood swath clothes? It, the medieval ages, was there, there wasn't just browns and dirts and and stuff like that why not have a, a beautifully painted 
uh, uh, mask and run around in in Venice during the carnival, for example, that would be a perfect place for yeah. a Nostrato. If if they do this um, sackcloth cloth or not, uh, they're also going to have a, a, a lot of trouble getting into uh, any uh, town or city that has a, a has a wall because they don't let itinerants in, and they're going to have trouble just walking around because towns and cities don't want what they look like, which is you know an itinerant beggar yeah. in their town. Mm. So uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, then we have the uh, the Rathnos. Now I will say this: in their write-up, there's only one mention of quote-unquote gypsies, and they unfortunately use that term rather than Roma. Uh, and they say that the clan prefers to embrace from that group of people, uh, but that in general they they embrace vagabonds and tricksters. Um, now, quite apart from the uh, racist problem, the problem is that in 1197. Uh, the Roma had not yet gotten to Europe, and in fact, I'm pretty sure that they hadn't yet gotten to the Middle East. Um, but it's set up so that they're just thieves and tricksters, mainly wanderers, who just happen to prefer embracing Roma. Yeah, and that that's iffy. Yeah, um, and and they're mentioned later on in the book as well that that they have a connection to uh, to the to the Roma people, and 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 especially if you've. If you play this game after you have played Vampire uh, the Masquerade, where they have a very strong connection uh, yeah. to to the Roma, then then it's very problematic. And especially again with your clan we weakness, wi where it basically says that you have to lie, cheat, or steal as often as you get the chance. And and that's besides being a very crappy um, clan weakness from a gaming perspective, it it just it enforces a very unfortunate and and kind of racist stereotype. So, yeah, again, I I would have a very difficult time including a Ravnos character as as the clan is written in in any game. I would yeah, play in. yeah, they 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 as you mentioned uh, the the after this particular section they go into a bit more depth of the clans and that's where you get this really unfortunate enforcement of the whole quote-unquote gypsy stereotype mm. um uh, and that's quite apart from the fact that that the roma people had in 1197 i think they might have reached the very eastern parts of like the persian empire but they were they were nowhere near even the the mediterranean um and i know that there are some people who will say well if you look at the history of the roma people in Europe, then they were itinerant wanderers who tended to cheat and steal, but that that's not something that is inherent in in their nature. Obviously, it's simply because they were an outcast people who were required to do whatever they had in order to survive. They were the victims of racism, and thus they could not get by as you know ordinary people could. So this 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 whole thing, yeah, the, the Ravnos clan is is it's problematic in this book. Yeah. It gets better yeah. uh, in later books, but in this one, uh, let's let's yeah, let's and, and skip over. Yeah, and ju just to finish that, that at at the end of each uh, clan write up, there are stereotypes of the other clans, and if you look at those, what pretty much everyone says about the Ravnos is that they're a bunch of lying thieves. And some of them even say that they should be killed on sight. And sure, it it says that 
it's stereotypes but again it's it's a very unfortunate stereotype to uh, to portray them as yeah all right uh clan Toriador, another of my favorites uh, i really like how the write-up points out that the Toriador are associated with the church as the church is one of the great patrons of art mm. uh, in the form of church decorations and book illuminations as such it really helps establish uh, the mood and it helps establish the setting if you didn't know now you know that the church is one of the great patrons of art um, so so that that's one thing that I think is really well written there yeah well the church had a lot of money and so they wanted a lot of fancy things and and again kind of what what you would do back in the medieval ages to to show your piety was to donate to the church and the church would use the money for all these fantastical uh, murals in and church paintings and uh, stained glass windows and stuff like that so yeah it absolutely makes sense that an art loving clan uh, would uh, uh, would try to to make ties to the to the church yeah and then the usurpers clan Tremere, mm. or however you want to pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, I don't have much to say. They're just perfect for the setting and integral to uh, much of the meta plot that is unfolding. Uh, I I love them for this for the Dark Ages setting. Yeah, the the Tremere has never really been a favorite of mine. I I don't know. It's I I think it because I feel that they they bring kind of like too much of of a fantasy element with with actual magic to the game but uh i i can't really complain about how to read it it's just that i i don't think i've i've never played a tremere and i don't see why i would want to but uh <laughs> if yeah if someone else wants to then then go ahead they have a snake in the coat of arms and snakes are cool <laughs> um, clan Tzmish, or however you want to pronounce it. Uh, my wife's favorite clan. Uh, I feel that we will have a lot more to say about them when we do Transylvania by Night and Transylvania Chronicles. Oh, yeah. uh, but for now, I mean, they, they, they are a clan that in this book may be a bit two-dimensional, but good God, later they get uh, some great great characterization. So, uh, so yeah, they, 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 they're fun. Yeah, it is. It is a very fun clan, and uh, like you said, unfortunately, uh, they are kind of meh when it comes to how they're written in this book. And and it's it's unfortunately quite of a running theme in in this book. And it I don't know if it's because they had thirteen credited uh, writers, but like some of the things are really well thought through. Like for example, with the Toreador and the connection to the church, or that La Sombra who, who likes to be in Spain. Uh, was a very religious area also has ties to the church uh, all those things are like you can see that there is something uh, something really uh, thought through uh, and and there's a point to all it is but like you mentioned the uh, the Tsimichi, they're they're basically like yeah and this is the dracula clan in transylvania <laughs> so let's give them a castle and a bunch of bats yeah and finally, the Ventru, which, if I recall correctly, is one of your favorite clans. Uh, yeah, uh, they're magnificent bastards, and and I like how um, how they change. Like they're they're still they're, they're very much the same, and is in in that they're all about power. But uh, in the uh, in the Dark Ages, it's a lot more focus on 
uh, on martial power, on on being knights and nobility and and old blood, uh, both mortal old bloodlines and and old vampire bloodlines. Um, but then in in the modern days, it's like nobility. Pff, f that. I I have money, like <laughs> I can I can buy your your ancient Transylvanian castle and turn it into uh, a, a, a Disneyland. Uh, yeah. So what are you gonna do about it? Uh, but but yeah, it's um, uh, they're they're in a way they they can can be very stuffy, but at the same time, when played right, they are wonderful. Yes, um, th- I think I think the clan picture says it all. It's a knight in full armor, and I hasten to add, period correct armor, um, rather than some rich merchant or or a nobleman in his castle, you know, with with fancy clothes. Mm. Um, and I love, like you said, how Clan Ventru has a much more martial feeling in the setting. And I also, like with the Bruja, I love the split. It's not quite as clear in Clan Ventru, but you do have a split between the sort of old guard, let's embrace the, the, um, uh, the nobles, and the new ones that go, hang on, these merchants in the cities. Yeah. They're, they're, they're interesting. So you have the same split there, mm. which is, is one of the things that I love about clans where, when you can see the development within them. And I think in Clan Bruja and Clan Ventru, those are the ones that, that showed the most. Uh, so yeah, after and, the two... Pre- yeah, no, oh, sorry, yes. on, a, on a meta level, I just love the fact that, that Bruja and Ventru, uh, which are two clans that are often portrayed as as uh, uh, being each other's opposites and being at, at war with each other, at least uh, fighting and, and trying to uh, ruin each other's plans. They're not really that that, that different from each other. They both have like <laughs> the, oh, let's do it like we always do. And, and, uh, and, and then you have the youngsters trying to do their ways. Uh, as for the knight, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good picture. I, I just want to point out that the knight is... Uh, uh, their hair is very long and hangs down oh, yes. uh, under the chainmail coif. So it's probably going to hurt a bit even for a vampire taking it off. Did you just say chainmail? Yeah, I did. <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. For, for um, but yeah, go ahead. I yeah, I, I, I you're, you're right. I mean, it's it's not 100 percent period correct, but I just I I love that picture because considering some of the other pictures, this one just gets so much right. Yeah. Right. So um, we move on to book two, which has chapters four, five, and six: characters, disciplines, and rules. So these are the chapters that uh, let you create a character and play the game. Chapter 4 is character creation. Uh, nothing new here. If you know Vampire, you know how it goes. Though, uh, the fun thing is, there is an example of character creation, and the character created is named Anatole, um, a Malkavian. So, it's basically the Malkavian signature character who will appear in um, tons of other books. And also the character created by someone named Justin uh, for a game run by uh, someone named Ethan. I, I thought that was rather amusing. Yeah. It, from... from the ancient legends that I've been told on, on old vampire forums, the, the signature characters, or at least a lot of them, started out as the uh, development team's own personal characters that they, they then just put in the games for, for the heck of it. <laughs> at, at some point, I need, to, uh, I need to do a rant about my absolute loathing for Anatole, and <laughs> not just because of his annoying appearances in Transylvania Chronicles, though that is a big part of it. Anyway, uh, this chapter also gives us uh, a glimpse of the new roads, but we'll get 
uh, into those later. So uh, the attributes are the same, except the scriptures go up to six since you can be seventh generation, and they do the same for abilities. There are probably some new ones for the medieval setting. So we have archery and ride and academics and health wisdom and so on. And then we go into backgrounds, mostly the same. Resources, resources are obviously different. But the big one is generation. Here you start at 12th generation, so with five dots you can reach 7th generation from the start. And I have so, I have some thoughts on this. Uh, is, is that something you have an opinion on? Not really, no. It's um, like I haven't really played uh, this, this game as it is, so I, I really couldn't uh, tell you how it would affect me, but it's it's a good way to set it apart from uh, from uh, the the modern setting I, if nothing else in just the fact that you can become so much more powerful with uh, a sixth dot in a discipline or or an ability yeah i i like the idea but especially for long running chronicles i feel that it should be either all or nothing um you should either have okay if we're doing a long running chronicle either everyone should be seventh generation then possibly give the five dots of generation for free or nobody should because of the immense difference there is um especially uh in this edition of the of the game where uh blood pool and blood uses usage jumps tremendously um from uh eighth to seventh generation but that's getting into very very fine detail uh, anyway after uh that comes the va uh, the roads in addition to humanity, they have also taken the idea of paths from the Sabbath and created several roads of morality to follow. Uh, in, and they're with mix and match virtue, so you can have conviction and self-control on the same road, for example. I don't know if they'd started doing that for Sabbath roads at this, or paths at this point, or they were all conviction and instinct. Uh, but the roads are Beast, Chivalry, Blood, Devil, Heaven, Paradox, Humanity, and Typhon. Uh, what do you think of the roads? Well, I think that it's uh, it's a good alternative to to the human humanity as as a basic or as a as a norm in in the modern age, uh, in and in if nothing else because it kind of um, it kind of shows the the different philosophies that that you could actually have and and I think in in ways that you would have since society back back in the medieval ages were were so different from how it is today basically now w we have at least in the in the western Hemis hemisphere we have kind of a monoculture but but back then you had very big differences in some ways between different cultures and and that of course reflects in in their philosophies or or in their um religion and and in this case in in how a vampire from a different culture would would view the world uh, and it, it adds an aspect of uh, of making the, the the not only the clans but also the characters different from each other so yeah I think it's 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 an interesting um, it's an interesting take on it and and from like uh, a gaming perspective or, or like a storytelling tool I like that they point out that the road of the devil isn't really a viable one for if you want to be a player character yeah it becomes that later um i i like them uh i really like and prefer what they did with them in in dark ages vampire and the next iteration of it where where they also made um some iterations of devil 
uh, Road of the Devil more playable. I, I think there are a bit too many minor roads. You have uh, well, you only have two, which is Paradox and and uh, sorry, three, which is Blood Paradox and Typhon. But that's still quite a few roads that are mainly meant for one clan. So once again, I I, I prefer what they did in Dark Ages Vampire, and I, and with the road books coming up, we'll talk a lot more about that mm. when we get to Dark Ages Vampire. Yeah. So. Uh, chapter five disciplines more powers please yes. um i have um a few comments here uh regarding the the physical disciplines because they use uh the old system so with potence you have automatic successes um whereas in uh, the newer systems it's uh additional strength and then you can spend blood to make it uh automatic successes for uh for one round uh which is a system i vastly prefer celerity is still extra actions but now uh, they've started to limit celerity they, they've seen how problematic it can be so it's one blood per extra action but this is independent of the blood usage derived from generation uh which really annoys me uh it's too much bookkeeping i think and then fortitude is added to soak um and allows the character to soak all aggravated damage with stamina plus fortitude, which is something that I don't like because one dot of fortitude means that however much stamina you have, you can now yeah. uh, roll. Yeah. Um, and now uh, these three, celerity and potence has been scaled back, obviously, uh, in later iterations, and fortitude has been scaled both up and down in ways. So so that's that's sort of the, the big change that, that I can see. Um, so... Yeah, I, I don't know if you have any comments on that. It's just something that I mm. that I looked into. Yeah, I, I agree with your uh, comment on, on Fortitude that it's it's basically just get out of Fortitude and then buy uh, Stamina, which is cheaper, and you basically get the same effect in most of the cases. Um, uh, as for Potence, I, I don't see it as problematic that it's automatic successes because... It it usually doesn't like on its own. It's not really that much. It's it's when you combine it with some other things that it that that it can become problematic. Yeah. And any any aggravated damage and who boy. Oh yeah. And and at the same time, uh, since strength for a vampire, like you mentioned, you can already spend blood to to become stronger. So. Um, so so having it like to actually be of use. Uh, and not just like a better version of, of uh, uh, spending blood. I think that's why they made it automatic so yeah. that, that you get a bit of a boost. Now, one interesting thing I read and reread, and I think I read three times to, to be sure, but it seems that in this iteration, physical aggravated damage, so not sunlight and fire, but physical aggravated damage can be soaked with stamina without you having fortitude, which is strange because I've, I've always played like... St uh, accurate it cannot be soaked unless you have fortitude but from what i read here uh in in the book physical aggravated can be soaked with just stamina though it's still more difficult to uh to heal uh so that was something that uh, that i found uh, oh, okay, found interesting yeah. um so other than that i would like to highlight animalism as being awesome without it animals react very negatively towards vampires and given the preponderance of animals in this setting not to mention how useful horses are for travel animalism is just really really good i feel that that it's a discipline that that tends to get uh, neglected in modern day but here it's just it's one of the best yeah it's uh, like you said it's it's really useful and some would say even necessary to have uh, at least if you want to play a more of a rural game 
uh, or or if you want to travel a lot and and even I'd say that even in a modern game it it could be very useful in in an urban setting because when you think about it you have rats and pigeons pretty much everywhere mm. so you yeah. you can have a network of spies and again this is kind of what the Nosferatu is supposed to do it, you can have a network of spies <laughs> uh, going around especially during the day when you can't mm. and of course the children of the night which you need to have if you're at speech yes <laughs> uh, mortis is the only completely new discipline here it's the Cappadocian discipline and at this point it's not a bunch of necromancy paths but rather discipline like all the others um, except for the magic obviously and I really like that. Uh, it's amusingly a pretty hardcore discipline in combat, considering it's the purview of a clan of of scholars. So it's no surprise they embrace the Giovanni. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. But but um, I at some point I I want to uh, talk a bit about what I what I think about uh, mortis being changed to uh, to an, and to basically a, a type of thaumaturgy. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on on mortis. No, I, like I said, I haven't really played this game, and and I do find it interesting that, as you mentioned, that it's it can be pretty devastating in combat, even though it's it's a bunch of uh, scholars running around using it. Uh, but hey, you you gotta defend those books, man. They're, they're <laughs> during the medi- during the medieval times, books were expensive. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that that that's a good reason to embrace some rich folks so they can buy you books. Oh, yeah. uh, chapter six is rules, which is a grand total of six and a half pages. Uh, so it's just the basic rules. How they are applied to specific situations actually comes in the wait, next wait, chapter. Aren't we going to mention that that the setites have a uh, uh, power that you're never really going supposed to use and that is turning into a giant snake <laughs> and we all know that turning into a giant snake never helps that is true i forgot about the evil overlords list but that is true yeah turning into a giant snake never ever works um so good good that you mentioned it uh everyone who's playing a uh, a follower set will now have been warned that it's 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 just not gonna help don't, don't do it it's no help. no um, but yeah, uh, the, the rules, it's, it's the storyteller system for better, uh, and for worse. Um, it's, it's very, very short. Um, I, I, I'm personally okay with them first giving the very basics of how the rules are used and then later giving examples of, uh, various ways that it can be, uh, be used. Um, and, and I, I say for better and for worse because the storyteller system, it has its good side, it has its bad sides. Uh, I think everyone who's played it knows about that. Yeah, and and I think the the focus here or, or the important uh, the key word is that it's a storytelling system. It's not really designed for for epic combat. It can be used for that, but like it's it's not really supposed to. So it's it's more again to tell a cool story and and that you should uh, y- you should focus on that. And they even have a section where it basically says that. You, you don't even have to roll dice if you don't want to for, for some things because if, if you have enough uh, points in, in the skills and abilities, you, you can just say that, yeah, you, you succeed in this. And yeah. I, I like that kind of stuff because there's, there's nothing sillier than like having this six, eight, six seven foot tall uh, brutish person trying to, to uh, uh, crash down a door and, and they just don't do it because they managed to, to botch the role and it's like yeah wh- wh- what was that all about 
And <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I feel the same way. I mean, there are systems where rolling dice can be really fun. I, I play um, Pathfinder and it can be a lot of fun just rolling a bunch of dice for your fireball or your critical hit. But I will say that that, that was the sort of, of approach that... Uh, in 96, it was starting to, to soften, but I, I grew up very much with a die roll, dice rolling mindset, and I would, I'll say that, that storyteller games, uh, Vampire, Vampire the Dark Ages, really helped me understand the idea that sometimes the dice are not necessary, and it was one of the first games to really put that front and center, that you can roll if you want, and sometimes you should roll, but in general, try to... Create an interesting story. Yeah, like I, I feel that, and I don't know where I've picked up this because it's it's hopefully in a lot of like uh, advice for uh, beginning storytellers and and game masters and dungeon masters that you you shouldn't roll unless the the consequences of failure bring something to the story. Like for example, if if you're going to kick down the door of a lowly peasant because you want to. Uh, talk to them what is the point of you not being able to to kick down the door in like a few tries yeah maybe you don't succeed on the first try but if if you keep on bashing it you should just knock it uh, knock it down and and so it would just detract from the story if you spend 10 minutes rolling dice to to get enough to and and in the meanwhile the uh, the poor peasant is just sitting in there cowering like th that that doesn't add to it it's not cool it's not cinematic it's it's not good narration uh, yeah so yeah just have it happen and and build go on with the story exactly uh and then we have book three permutations chapters seven eight and nine systems storytelling and antagonist now chapter seven has those aforementioned systems uh and we start with combat with Weapons, armor, and shields. Now, uh, I will be nice. I won't go into too long a rant. This was 1996. Doing research was harder than today, and there wasn't the same level of interest in hoplology. But still, uh, the weapons list has a broadsword. It has a bastard sword, which, even if it refers to an oak shot type 12A, is still 50 years too early. It has only one type of crossbow with no armor penetration, morning stars as flails, and so on and so on. And I'll stop ranting now yeah. and, and <laughs> to add to that because i think we're gonna run into this a lot of times that we we can go on for this and if there's a book focused on combat we could we'll we'll probably spend a lot of time in it but i'm i'm again just going to mention the the knight's armor where they mentioned that they could weigh up to 100 pounds <laughs> and no they didn't but uh, at least at least they say that it consists of male gauntlets and a, um, uh, a, um, a the, the great helm. Yeah. They, they, it's not plate armor. That's nice. I like yeah. that they say that it's not plate armor. That mm. that hasn't been invented yet. Props for that. Yeah. And and again, it's it's a running theme going th uh, through the book that they say that if you want to uh, to change the the era of the setting, you can just do it with these basic sets of rules. And as a storyteller, if if you want to move the the story ahead a few hundred years and have uh, um, uh, a set of plate armor then yeah just just do it and use the same stats as for something similar uh, and just say that since the weapons have become better the armor the, the difference in armor uh, versus weapons hasn't changed so it's it still counts as the best armor for the day 
Yeah. Um, under and and uh, to add to that, under uh, great swords and pole axes, they do mention that uh, a few of them are in use at this time, and they are mostly included for those who want to take their campaign to a later time. But mm. I, I mean, really, these weapons are 150 to 200 years in the future from uh, from that uh, that yeah. date, 1197. Yeah, exactly. So uh, at least if you stay in Europe, and and of course, if we're going back to the Hollywood 1990s, they have the leather armor. Oh, 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 let's not get into the no, whole leather we'll, armor we'll, discussion. We'll just, yeah, we'll just mention that and and move quickly onward. But <laughs> hey, it's not it's not really a vampire game unless you have someone called Raven Darkblood in in a long black leather coat. So I, I think I think they were mandated by by the contracts to include. But but where's like he going to get his katana? Yeah, well, if if he can find an Egyptian speaking with a Scottish accent. <laughs> Than, than maybe. <laughs> oh god no uh all right now now that the rant is out of the way let's look at the combat system a little bit one thing they have which is not used in later editions is that weapons have different difficulties to use an axe or a morning stars difficulty seven while a dagger is actually easier than hitting someone with your fist that's a bit weird um i i i, I think i prefer the weapons just being straight difficulty six or at least not a dagger being easier to use than just you know instinctively hitting someone with your fist yeah i i can agree with that but i think it's it's an element of not only hitting or using the weapon but using the weapon properly so yeah i i can hit you with a fist or i can or i can slap you but to actually do more damage to you than to myself it's it's actually a bit difficult and so mm. but if, if yeah you i, I didn't think a, of it like that yeah but mm. if you wave a dagger around i can uh, even on on uh, by accident cut you so i think it's something to do with that but uh, from a gaming perspective i still agree that it should be just have have everything the same because that's just a lot easier and it it uh, uh, yeah you you don't have to do as much bookkeeping and like oh what's this and uh, did i use my axe yeah. or did i use my sword mm. so overall i think that the combat system uh, the system uh, could be improved in some areas. I think the penalties for wearing armor are a bit too onerous, or at least there should be some way of you expressing that you're trained to wear heavy armor yeah. so that you aren't as encumbered by it. Uh, I don't think you'd necessarily need strength four to use a great sword, uh, but let's not spend much more time on that, or we could both just go <laughs> on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, from here on, uh, the rest of the chapter, I think the layout is a bit... Uh, strange because after combat systems you get character development yeah. with experience points costs and the like before going on to injury and healing and then mental states like frenzy derangements whatever and then the rest of the systems for things like sneaking interrogation tracking all that stuff which is you know it's 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 weird that they chose that layout yeah. for it i don't know why they did and and especially when we come to the appendix where they have the merits and flaws uh for example the, the merits and flaws they are divided into the different cast categories, like the, the mental and the physical and stuff like that. But they're not even in alphabetical order, uh, and they're they're not even by by the points by the cost of it. L so, like the cheapest or first or anything like that. They're just willy nilly, and and that just annoys me a bit because it's it's very hard to uh, to get an oversight or or like if there's a situation where you have to look up something and it's like yeah okay it's it's in here somewhere oh it's a physical so now now i just need to find uh, the the fuck it's not in alphabetical order which is it and 
Uh, yeah, it's. I, I agree. The layout could be a lot better uh, from from just a practical point of view. But that's one of the nostalgic things of reading old White Wolf books. They 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 weren't always uh, experts uh, at the layout. I will say I haven't run into any page XX um, references in this book, which is which is nice. Um, and I'll say uh, for for our listeners, if you don't get uh, my my page XX reference, uh, you're not really uh, that old. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, this chapter ends with um, no. Sorry, one more thing I wanted to say. Uh, you know, uh, one thing I would have liked is a few more examples of odd pairings of attributes and abilities. What what they show is a bit straightforward. So for a novice, they might have um, have a bit of trouble realizing just how much you can pair attributes and abilities yeah um so but the chapter ends with something i kind of miss from the books speaking of of those of us who are old uh the rules examples in comic form oh yeah that's, um, that's a nice if, touch yeah if 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 you dear listener do not know what it is get a hold of an older world of darkness core book and check it out it is in, in my opinion a pretty cool way of demonstrating the system mm. so uh, uh, a little story uh, in comic book form and then repeated but explaining how the different systems work uh, chapter 8 is storytelling advice on how to run the game and this is where I feel World of Darkness books really shown especially back in the day uh, this kind of in-depth advice including multiple different techniques that was uh, rare in other core books of that time I think uh, this certainly made me a better game master and not just in storyteller games uh, it's mostly solid advice that still still holds up today right yeah i think so there there are a lot of like, like we mentioned in the beginning if anyone can remember that it's that it's supposed to be a story that uh that you tell together with the other players and that you're you're not supposed to win it in in that sense that you're yeah sure your your character can uh, gain some kind of advantage or or move up in the world, but it's it's still not a race to the finish. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if um, if you've never read that section before, some people might not just thinking, oh, I already know how to run a game. Uh, I would definitely uh, recommend that you do it. So the last chapter, chapter nine, is antagonists. Um, we start off with the church with its true faith, uh, which obviously is very appropriate for the setting and a mention of inquisitors and i will give them a lot of credit for mentioning that inquisitors are appointed by bishops because this is the time of the episcopal inquisition and the papal mm. inquisition won't come around until 1230 yeah. so that was really really good that was a nice catch yeah um and other than that we have a mention of the barley and gargoyles but no stats for them uh, mm. so that's going to come around later yeah and Spe speaking we have of the church though just yeah. as as another fun fact it's uh i i think that they they missed an opportunity when uh when they chose the date for uh for this particular setting because uh for those of our listeners who don't know uh you didn't only have a pope during the medieval ages from time to time you also had an anti-pope which, <laughs> which was basically uh usually the people of france saying that we don't like your pope we want our own and and this went back and forth for a couple of hun hundred years, but during this uh, during this particular decade, uh, they actually didn't have an anti-pope uh, for 
for about 20 years and I think it would be perfect and very suitable to have these anti-popes or the Pope and anti-pope uh, because it would be perfect for a storytelling tool to who actually influences uh, the, the church in different ways and you could have like the La Sombra uh, supporting the Pope and the Toreador uh, supporting the anti-pope or whatever uh, and also during but this, this comes later during the, the early 1400s you actually at, so, uh, at one point for about a decade had three popes yeah I was uh, about to ask uh, ask about that there was a time when they had three yeah. popes so I don't know maybe uh, Malkavian or something had a had a vision and, and decided to or just for, for the heck of it throw in their <laughs> hat in the papal hat race uh, yes it was a very it was a very is no good um, situation I want to be pope instead of the pope yeah um, so yeah, that, that's that's actually a very good point. That that could be a, a very interesting um, framework for a campaign. Uh, the whole schism between popes and anti-popes. So uh, yeah, that that I hadn't actually thought about that. Um, but yeah, we have the werewolves, and they are described as the werewolves of werewolf the apocalypse with tribes and all that. Uh, I'm curious what you think of that approach. Yeah, I I think it's. Um in in a way um it it works uh to give them more depths uh, or, or to to make them more three-dimensional characters rather than just the the boogeyman in the in the forest but at the same time uh, if if i wanted werewolf lore at this level i would probably just either play the werewolf games or or buy the book to get the info from there uh, and it kind of goes back to uh to the amount of humans and and people in general that like if if you have a, a, a set number or if you have a bunch of of um, vampires running around and then you have a bunch of werewolves running around and then you have a bunch of mages running around then like the only the only human left is is a guy named bob living in a hut somewhere up in the scottish mountains or something i don't know it's i i prefer quite often to to keep my uh, world of darkness games separate from each other that if you play vampire you play vampire and and sure you can have the odd werewolf in the forest as like a monster of the week or something like that but um i don't know it's i don't think it's for me to to have them this detailed and uh, because we it goes back to the like yeah if you want to have different tribes you have to have more than a few of them and you can't really have this awesome tribe of silverfang warriors that are just three people <laughs> yeah um I, I, i'm reminded of of a joke uh, that we had in, in our group which was in the modern world of darkness with the vampires and the werewolves and the mages and so on and so forth that the only real guy real human was some guy and i do believe yes his name was bob mm -hmm. managing a 7-eleven somewhere yeah and he was the only human left yeah. uh i do not like it. I prefer lupines rather than guru. Uh, I want them to be strange and unknown because uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. Uh, if if they are to be scary, they need to be something where uh, knowledgeable players or just players who know a bit about werewolf uh, isn't sitting there going, "Oh, is that a Fianna? Is that a get of Fenris?" Things like that. So, so yeah, I I prefer my antagonists to be uh, both unknown but also explained from a vampire viewpoint because as you said we're playing vampire so um yeah but we also have mages we have wraiths we have fey mm. awesome thing for uh for dark ages i'm really looking forward to taking a look at, at dark ages fey and we have crossover rules 
uh, I th- I think we both stand the same on that, which is not for us. Yeah. Um, some people like it. I prefer my games separate. But, you know, I can't fault White Wolf for putting crossover rules in there. And then we have Demons, which is awesome. I love using Demons as antagonists in Dark Ages because of the religious atmosphere that permeates the setting. So I think um, as long as you don't make them a sort of monster that just has to be killed so you can move on, I think Demons can be really, really cool in the Dark Ages setting. Yeah, and and I agree that uh, the, the Fae and... and don't, don't get me wrong, I, I don't mind... I, I, I do think that, that uh, other supernatural beings... Uh, do have a place in the mi- in a, in a medieval setting, uh, since like you you had the uh, the folklore and 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 people believing in the house gnomes and and uh, um, uh, the different uh, creatures living in the forest and stuff like that. So so it would it would be kind of boring if you didn't have anything like that, even in a vampire setting. But but as you say that it shouldn't be recognized as a Fianna or a Bonor or something like that. It should just be a Lupine. It's it's a big, scare monster. How do we deal with it? Yes. So we end on the appendix, which is mainly just merits and flaws. Then we have a price list for area-appropriate equipment, an index, and a character sheet. Now, we could nitpick the uh, equipment list and the prices, but I, I feel that would just be, you know, uh, be... be going into too much detail. Um, I don't have much to say about this. I mean, I've, I've always liked merits and flaws as long as uh, if I'm the storyteller, I have some control over what's taken. I'm just, I'm not going to allow people to just choose anything. Um, so I don't know if you have any specific ideas about that. No, it's, um, I, I think it's like you said, if, if you can have some control and, and make it more balanced. Um, Again, I want to to bring it back to what we're talking about about the clan weaknesses. That that basically you have you have a two point flaw, and for those who don't know that a two point flaw is you get two extra points of for for your character creation, uh, and two points isn't really that much. But there is a two point flaw that is basically uh, the Ventru clan weakness, uh, and if the Ventru clan weakness is only worth two points and then you compare it to for example the Nosferatu who are uh, hideously ugly or the Gangrel who who becomes monster if they frenzy too much you can you can kind of tell that that not all of the clan weaknesses are balanced properly and and so yeah it, it kind of you should probably think it through both with the merits and flaws which which ones you allow and also if you as uh, in your playing group if you want to change the weaknesses so that they are more balanced though you could also say that that this uh, you know some people uh, would say that that well it doesn't matter if they're balanced because it's not about balance and i think that's uh, also a very valid viewpoint um so it's, i think it's up to the storyteller to just make sure the clan flaws stay flaws and that they are expressed in the game yeah, uh, that, that's a very good point. Yeah. All right, so let's assess this book um, as a core book for a role-playing game and as a book for uh, historical games, uh, both as a, a storyteller and a player. Um, so let's let's hear what you have to say. Well, as, as a core book for a game, I think it has, it has everything you need. Uh, and as they point out on a lot of uh, uh, places in the game, like... 
if there's anything else you need just make it up like do do you want uh, a city that's not that didn't actually exist in the middle of the w uh, of the european forest somewhere yeah go ahead for it uh it's uh, it follows at least on some parts the the keep it simple stupid rule and i i love that uh in other ways it's it's very 90s um in in both the uh, the fluff and the rules um, but but over, uh, overall I I'm feeling that I would like to play this game right well uh, I would love to run it <laughs> you need to you need to come by at some point uh, or I need to come to Sweden um, so um, for my money looking at it as a game book I would say it's a good game book uh, as a player it definitely gives me everything that I would need um, to create a character, to understand the game mechanics, and to understand uh, the um, vampire setting. Um, as a storyteller, I feel it could use a bit more fleshing out when it comes to how canine courts and, and society uh, works. Um, it's clearly, as you said, a work of its time. Um, and it, there was a tendency at this time for games to uh, be made with the expectations that there would be source books that people would buy. So this gives you everything you need to play at a basic level, but there will be source books and these source books will definitely expand on it. So it's a solid foundation that can be used alone. Um, historically, um, I would say it's a decent historical books, but it lacks a lot of information, especially details to make the setting come alive. Yeah. It doesn't make any huge mistakes, uh, except for the weapon section. Let's not get into that. Mm. <laughs> but but there's a scarcity of information, so there's not a lot to get wrong. Uh, I would say as a player, uh, I could get some ideas, but I would still have to do some research in order to really get into what would a person from this time be. And as a storyteller, I would have to make a lot of research in order to make the setting come alive. So again, it's a solid foundation, but... I don't feel that I would be able to portray the Middle Ages uh, well if that is what I wanted. And obviously that is what I would want because I love history and it's my favorite uh, game. So for someone who doesn't care that much about the historical accuracy, it, it gives you a, a good foundation for, for uh, a historically based game. Yeah, and uh, like if if you wanted to do the, the Hollywood, let's, let's go to... Uh, to medieval land and and run around doing things then yeah it, it works really good but then you run into the the problems that we mentioned earlier that they really they aren't really that in enough people to to support uh, any kind of uh, large large enough vampire population to to be able to have all the intrigue and the backstabbing that that is so very much what vampire is all about and it's again it's it's not necessarily that hard to fix as a storyteller it's just that yeah you can fudge the numbers a bit uh, but it is something that you you're going to have to do uh, which really if if you buy a game you you shouldn't have to do that because you kind of expect it at least today you kind of expect the uh, the publishers to do it for you uh, then again it does open up for some rather interesting um, ways to play the game like like for example since since there aren't really uh, that many people you you could 
play a game where where vampires actually are a lot more integrated in human society because everyone already knows about uh, the uh, house gnomes and uh, the fae living in the woods and and this is just another one of those uh, folklore and and uh, beliefs in in the supernatural um, that was that didn't go away just because of Christianity and people still relied on it and talked about all the elves and gnomes and and dwarves and and whatever uh, way back in in basically into to modern times uh, so so that could be an interesting way to fix it that yeah you have you have a Nosferatu and everyone think n n or a lot of his his mortal friends knows that he's a monster but hey it treats them nice and and he can help them in a fight and and yeah why why wouldn't you want this guy who uh, who can come around and and uh, knock the sheriff uh, the, the mortal sheriff I should sh should say <laughs> around uh, if if he tries to take too much taxes from you like yeah it, it yeah could work. and 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 they they actually sow the seeds for this because in the in the traditions I mean they they have different traditions from the laws of the Camarilla the Camarilla mm -hmm. traditions uh, and they have they don't have the masquerade they have silence of the blood where it's not you're not allowed to do supernatural things it's you're not allowed to tell um non-vampires that you are a vampire yeah. so they accept that well if you're going to run around and do supernatural things that's not a problem because people will accept oh that might have been a fairy that might have been a demon that might have been a miracle we witnessed just don't go around talking about vampires because then we're going to get church vampire hunters after us yeah and so uh, and yeah and, and that is even like do w would people even care like yeah it was a time where where everyone at least outwardly were a lot more religious than they were today but like it is we must remember that it's it's not really our world it's it's supposed to be a world of darkness that is more um that is darker and more gothic and and uh, the uh, light doesn't shine as bright at least not in the deep forests so you could if you wanted to have this aspect where the people go to church but they aren't really believing in that they do it because otherwise they the the bishop comes around with their inquisition and and you don't want that so <laughs> exactly uh, but but again it's something that you as a player uh, or at least the storyteller has to work into your game um and a lot of a lot of people wouldn't necessarily want to do that but it's uh, yeah you you can have a lot of these things like uh, uh yeah, ex uh, the, the, you you can do away with you can hand wave a lot of things because uh, for for example they they mentioned that traveling is really difficult and and yeah it, it was people most people really didn't uh, travel more than maybe a few days travel from the the village they grew up in so so they they really didn't know a lot about the world but at the same time they mentioned that uh, that. Um, when when plagues or, or diseases hit an area and the news spread, then then uh, uh, brave vampires or brash vampires go there to feed because it's an excellent opportunity to feed. But at the same time, how would they know about <laughs> it and how would they be able? How does to the news actually spread? Yeah, exactly. It's it's those damn swallows again, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but European swallows or African swallows? Uh, yeah, the the ones with the coconuts. <laughs> um yeah Let's all right well um so um any last words from you peter before we do the outro uh no i think 
like like you said, it's uh, uh, I'm th the fact that after reading this, uh, I want to play the game. I I think that says enough uh, about how well written this book actually is. Yes. All right. Uh, right, so before we say goodbye, a few things. Uh, the music we use is a free-to-use track called New Hero in Town by Kevin MacLeod at incompetech.filmmusic.io or you can just Google Incompetech. Uh, we also have a fa Facebook page called, unsurprisingly, World of Dark Ages Podcast. Uh, we're not on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok or whatever yet and we do not have a web page for now, uh, so Facebook is the place to check for updates. Uh, and next time we will be looking at the Book of Storyteller Secrets. So it's goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time.